0: Good morning. There we are. It's good to see all of you. Welcome to church. Welcome to Trinity. If we don't know one another, my name is Ashley Matthews. I'm the associate lead pastor here at Trinity, and we are so glad to have you with us today. If you have Bibles, we're going to be in Galatians 3. This is our third week here at Trinity of moving through a study through the book of Galatians. Uh, We are most typically here at Trinity at what we call a lectionary-based church, which means that we preach from a very old, centuries old, even Bible reading and preaching plan so that we're not trying to come up in isolation with what we're talking about every Sunday. But we get to join with the wider church in figuring those things out together. But we've decided for these six weeks to uh, jump off the lectionary in order to do a deep dive into what we believe is a really timely uh, and really important letter in the New Testament. A word for such a time as this, you might say. So we're going to read, see what Paul has for us in these verses, pray, and then get into it. This is verse 1. Paul writes, You foolish Galatians, what a warm welcome. Good morning, church. (laughs) Who has bewitched you, literally cast a spell on you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified, The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? Having started with the Spirit, are you now ending with the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Well, then, does God supply you with the Spirit? and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by your believing what you heard. Now we're going to jump over to verse 23. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian, for in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. As many of you, as were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. You are heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Holy Spirit, Lord, this morning we bless you, God, with this time. We thank you, Lord, that we can know today that you are the same and that you are here and with us the same as you were with the Galatians so long ago. The same spirit that inspired Paul to write these words is with us, speaking to us. Jesus, will you help us, give us ears to hear. Will you give us your peace? Still us, God, in the way that only you can from everything that we are thinking about and the million things that beg for our attention. We ask you now, God, for the ears of faith even, to hear, Lord, according to your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name, Lord, that we pray and do all these things. Amen. Amen. So I want to do something um, a little bit different. I've said the first week that we started our studying Galatians that these times would look slightly different from what is typical for us here at Trinity, um, in the sense that we're doing a kind of hybrid between what would be like a class lecture and a sermon. We were going to do this study in a class setting, which means I would have an hour and a half to unpack a text like this, and instead, I have 20 minutes. It's just unkind, actually, is what that is. Um, so for those of you who are doing this study, please, this week in particular, make sure that you have a chance to check out the study videos because there's quite literally no way to say all that we can say or even maybe should say um, in the time that we have. But I want to do a review because I know that some of you aren't going through the study. You're just here with us on Sundays. And so to make sure that there's a sense of continuity, I want to back up a little bit to the first week where we answered two questions. Why Galatians? And what's the issue? And it's sort of like a hope that I have that we would finish this study and we would all feel really clear at least about the fact that why did we choose to jump off the lectionary and sit with this letter? Why does it matter for us now? And what's it about? So that's what we're going to look at first. Why Galatians and what's the issue? We said the first week, the Galatians who, remember, were Gentile Christians. So Christians who, um, Gentiles who became Christian, which means that before they were Christian, they were non-Jewish, uh, what we would call now maybe pagan in Paul's world would be called pagan, meaning they had not been circumcised, they did not uh, obey Torah, and they were culturally Gentile, not culturally Jewish. These people have since become Christian. And now they're being encouraged by certain teachers, Christian teachers, to also get circumcised and start obeying the law. So here's why that matters for the moment there we're in. In short, they were being offered a version of Christian faith that provided for a need for control in uncertain times, and they were living in very uncertain times. The Roman-Jewish War would happen just a couple of decades later, very uncertain times. So it provided for a sense of control while minimizing the role of the spirit and the significance of the cross. Lots of control, little spirit, little cross. That's the version of Christian faith being put in front of them. They were in short then being tempted By way of being Christian, that didn't really require Jesus or the Holy Spirit, and therefore, and this is the thing, the therefore, if I don't need Jesus and I don't really need the Holy Spirit, then what that means is I have a version of Christian faith being offered to me that cannot either challenge the world around me or redeem it. It's a way of being Christian that neither challenges the world around me, nor can it redeem it and make it other. This is the reason that Paul is so upset. This is what's on the line and at stake for him. Here's why we're doing Galatians. That's all well and good for them, but if that only mattered 2,000 years ago, it wouldn't do us much good. The facts are, though, y'all, Satan doesn't have an endless or infinite supply of tricks. He's got one bag of tricks. It's a good bag. Because it always seems to work, kind of in spite of or regardless of the circumstances around us. These times didn't just only happen or occur in the first century. Times of profound social, social, political, spiritual uncertainty have always plagued the church, always been a part of our reality. It's what it means to be the church in a broken world. But these were particularly acutely uncertain times as we have been in particularly and acutely uncertain times. And we are also, I would submit to you, tempted by a version of the Christian gospel or Christian faith that provides for a high degree of control but also minimizes the role of the Spirit and the significance of the cross. That's the kind of Christian that the world would prefer that you be, particularly in a time like this. Jesus light, Holy Spirit lighter, can neither challenge the world around you nor redeem it, but keeps you in line. The Roman world was very happy for people to believe really whatever they wanted to believe privately in their personal lives with God, so long as they acted just like everybody else. The world has not changed. It's the same world. So that's why Galatians. Paul thought that the gospel was on the line for them the same as the gospel is on the line for many of us, for the church today. What's the letter about? Well, I've already sort of told you on the surface, most simply, missionaries have come into the churches in Galatia, Christian missionaries who were Jewish before. They were Christian. And so now they are trying to convince these Gentile Christians to be circumcised and to keep Torah. Here's the thing. Yes, that is what many of us hear when we hear that is, okay, so they were like encouraging them towards a faith plus works type of faith, a way of like proving their faithfulness to Jesus through works. And that's like not untrue but we have to do a little bit of work to put ourselves in their world. Really, what the issue for Paul, what he saw happening, was a way to preserve a kind of Jewish-first identity for Christians, a cultural identity that was primary with Jesus sort of tacked on. In other words, these missionaries were saying to these Gentiles, really, in order to like complete your faith, you need to become culturally Jewish. You need to become like us in order for the fullness of faith to take effect. So that looks like getting circumcised and keeping Torah. But the issue for Paul was the, like, Jewish identity first plus Jesus. Jesus as a tack-on to what is otherwise a primary cultural identity. I think that temptation still exists in the world today. It just looks different. Let's think of some examples of a primary cultural identity. Go ahead. I won't name them aloud. I'll let you. Never mind, I will. Well, I am a white American. I am a Republican. I am a Democrat. I am. I went to this college. I am black. I am Puerto Rican. Oh, plus Jesus, also Jesus. I am those things, also Jesus. We live in the same world. It's not a radically different world now than it was then. What Paul will call the present evil age is as much an option for us as it was for them. We are still very present to it. What Paul saw happening was a majority, culture in the church anyway even though not culturally, but in the church saying, yeah, 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 Jesus for sure. Also though you do have to be like us for it to get the full thing, you know, that's the issue. And Paul is saying any, any identity that does not and is not necessarily enfolded into the gospel so that it's transformed, that's a false gospel. A gospel that just tacks Jesus on to what you already were if he never came and died and never sent the Holy Spirit is no gospel at all. Jesus has transformed our identity. That's true for me individually and for us collectively. We are now, to put it more simply, Christian first, language they wouldn't have used then, but that certainly would come to use. Our primary identity is in Jesus died, crucified, and raised again through his Holy Spirit. We are one in Christ Jesus, Paul is saying. So that's what the letter is about. And I think you can imagine why it matters for us. Because we are still tempted by Jesus as a tack on gospel. Even though Paul's saying it's no gospel at all. Our identity primarily in the church is meant to be clothed with Christ. We have put him on. Are we still all the things we were before he came and died and was resurrected? Yes. Are those things bad? No. Paul will go on to say, being Jewish, wonderful, the law, wonderful, being this and that, wonderful. Those things are not bad. They just do not define you in the same way anymore. They do not dictate the terms for you anymore. All those things have been enfolded, transformed, redeemed by the power of the gospel so that you have a new identity together as one family. So that's why Galatians, and there's the issue. Now let's look at chapter three. Paul says this in verse two. The only thing I want to learn from you is this, did you receive the spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? This is the first time Paul has mentioned the spirit outright and he will play a critical role, he the spirit, moving forward throughout the letter. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by believing? And of course it's a rhetorical question because these are people who have in fact received the Holy Spirit already before they were circumcised, before they did works of the law, just by virtue of their faith. The Holy Spirit is not new in this moment. It's not like the Holy Spirit was created by Jesus post-resurrection. So let's talk about the Spirit for a second. Why is He such a big deal to Paul in this moment? He's not new. He was there, according to Genesis, at the creation of the world. He has been there throughout the Old Testament. He was in Jesus himself. He raised Jesus from the dead. But what is new, post-resurrection, is a moment like Pentecost. Do you remember? Acts 2. That's what's new. The Holy Spirit coming and being given to what would become the church, followers of Jesus, to equip them and empower them in their faith, to live like Jesus lived. That is new. That is just happening. And that that Holy Spirit would go to Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, male and female alike, in order to give them spiritual authority, without distinction, not based on externals. He just, you know, he just goes. And he fills people. This is is new. Pentecost. Paul is saying, that spirit you have already experienced. You've lived with him. You know the things that he does. Why would you go back to living as if he had never come, as if you had never experienced him? He mentions here at this part in the notes. This is the under a babysitter part for those of you who are note takers. Um, Let me find it here. What Paul is afraid of is the going backwards thing. He's afraid that now that we've lived life with the Spirit, we've moved in Him and through Him, that now that we would stop and that we would revert and go backwards. That's what he sees happening in the church, and he's asking, like, why? Why would we do that? Why would we go back, now that we've tasted freedom, and go back to living life under what he calls a babysitter? And I think it's such a brilliant question. Why go backwards? According to Paul, the Holy Spirit has been given as a kind of deposit— this language that he's going to use, not just in this letter, but in other letters. And I want to explain his analogy a little bit because it matters so much for you and for me and for this letter and understanding what he's talking about. He's going to talk about an inheritance and he's going to talk about deposit. Paul gives a kind of analogy from the real world to help us understand how this stuff works. He says, when Jesus died and was resurrected and he gave the Holy Spirit to the church, that Holy Spirit came to you like a deposit or an advance on an inheritance. An inheritance, Paul is saying, is of course the gift that God wants to give you ultimately. For Israel, that gift was taking Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, and giving them, quite literally, the promised land. For us, for the church, same story. We are, Paul is saying, being taken out of slavery in order for God to give us a gift, a redeemed future, if you want to use the language of promised land. It is not just heaven or some spiritual forever that God has promised you. Just as it was for Israel and for the Jews, it has real world implications. Real life. God wants to restore and redeem the world. He wants the world to look like it should look. He wants you to experience the world as it was meant to be. That's his promise to you. That's his heart. He's working to make it happen. John 3:16. I was just thinking about when we were singing the verse that, like, maybe the one verse that probably most everyone in this room knows or has at least heard. How does it go? How does it start? For God so loved the world that He He gave His only begotten Son. Who shall should believe in Him should not perish but have eternal life. The verse starts with a "For God so loved the world." There's a because. Here's the motivation. It's God's love for the world that has inspired him to do all of these things. There is a world that God wants to redeem, a world that God wants to rescue. And if you wanna think of that as heaven, that's great. So long as you know that your forever future with God is not you as a naked cherub baby floating around in a disembodied forever. I don't even know how that became such a popular promise for people, something we really latched onto. Who wants to be a cherub forever? I don't understand. I don't think many of us actually do. That we would live in heaven in some ethereal, cloud-like, spiritual place that we can't... It's not real. It doesn't match our real-life experience. I don't know what heaven is like right now. I don't know. But I do know that according to the New Testament, the forever promise that you're meant to be very clear about is God's intention to redeem this life and this world for you. That he wants to heal all things. That you don't love this world more than God does that your sense of justice is derivative. What you hope for, you hope for because God hoped for it first. And it matters for this life in this world. So that's our inheritance, a redeemed world that God has reclaimed for himself. The Holy Spirit is like a deposit. It's like you took something out of that world, it will be the Holy Spirit that makes all things new, And you took it out of that world and you brought it into this one, into my life, into your life, so that I live now as a person who is reconciled to God and to people, animated by the things that God is animated by, in relationship with you the way I'm meant to be, in relationship with God the way I'm meant to be, so that the world around me becomes increasingly the world that we're meant to have. That's the idea. It's a deposit, an advance on a future promise. And we have it, Paul's saying. Here's why I think this is so important. is because in the same way that Paul would say, you've received the Spirit, why now would you go backwards? I wonder that similarly for myself, for you, for the church. We have something so good, why would we go backwards? And I know why. It's because the temptations are strong. Life in this world is so familiar, and we're reminded of it every single day. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of this Bible story that for me helps drive home the point, makes it so clear why this matters so much to Paul. And so I want to share it uh, with you. It's from Numbers 13. I also just like occasionally being reminded that there's good stuff in the book of Numbers, you know, that would otherwise, why would we read it? I know that's what it's like. I'm sure there's good stuff in there, but when's the last time you read Numbers, you know? There's good stuff in there. Numbers 13. There's this story about Moses. Moses and the Israelites have just come out of the Exodus. They're about to go into the promised land. And before they go into the promised land, Moses decides to send spies, 12 of them, one from each tribe, in order to like like a report, tell us what's going on over there. Before we move in, we want to know. And while you're there, in a stroke of genius, a moment of inspiration, I don't know what it was, or maybe neither of those things. Maybe he just wanted a souvenir. Moses says, also bring us back something if you could from there. Some of the goods of the land. So he sends them on this mission. They go and they spy it out. And while they're there, they encounter a land as beautiful and wonderful as they hoped. One problem, it's covered in these warriors trained for battle. It's full of giants is how they describe it. These people are big. And they really know how to do war. And they're everywhere. And so they get afraid. They're both like, this land is awesome. Oh, no. No way. We're moving into here. And so they decide to go back to Moses. And before they do, they remember, oh, yeah, we're supposed to take him something. What do we get? And some grapes. You remember this? A giant cluster of grapes. Which they, if giant, they need poles to carry these grapes. Those are big Grapes. I've never seen grapes that big. I've never needed poles. They have to have poles to carry the grapes all the way back home. They get home and they're giving their report. I imagine them all camped out eating their grapes. I don't know that that's, the Bible doesn't say this. This is how I imagine it. But the spies are giving their support or their report. And 10 of them say something like this. Y'all, yeah, it's great. It's wonderful. Also though, no go. It's full of giant warrior people and we're not going there. Moses has led us out here to die. Everybody pack it up, we're going home. And Israel starts, in turn, freaking out. You're right, this is a bad idea. We knew it all along, you know the story. Moses, he's the worst, get us back to Egypt. Two spies, Caleb and Joshua, stand up, and Joshua says, ho, hold on, no, 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 wait, no, wait a second. It's true, there are very big people there, and they clearly know how how, how to fight, how to do war. This is true. But you all remember. You remember Egypt? Do you remember the Exodus? Do you remember what God did? If God is with us and for us, A, we're going to be okay, and B, have you tasted those grapes? Those are some good grapes. Am I right? Don't you want more of the grapes? Here's why I love that so much, because that's exactly how the Holy Spirit is meant to function for me and for you. In a moment of faltering or fear or temptation or when I am tempted to revert and fall back to exactly the way that I've always operated in the life that the world has prescribed for me, the Holy Spirit is to come to me as a reminder of a foretaste. I have in my life tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And once you have tasted home, y'all, that's where you want to go. I will submit to you. I can't carry it with me often. I am so prone to forget. I live in a world that would tempt me every day to forget. But every now and then, I remember what it tastes like, who I am called to be, the home that I am meant for. And it is that Holy Spirit who goes to work in my life to animate me and empower me to bring my home here until he comes. Amen? If I can't take Atlanta with me, I guess we'll bring it here. Yes. We'll bring it here. Home. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Something new. Because otherwise we revert back to life under a babysitter. Paul calls it, he says, You have formerly lived under a disciplinarian, in Greek, a pedagogos a babysitter, child leader. In the Greco-Roman world, these were actual servants whom wealthy people had. And they were paid people. They were. That's wrong. You weren't paid. They were not paid. You got to live with a very wealthy family. That was your payment. And you escorted their children to school. That was your primary responsibility. You walked them to school. You made sure that they got there. And anywhere else that they needed to go, that their parents had determined already that they should go, The Pythagagos went with them to make sure that they got there. Oh, he needs to go here. Sally goes here and goes here. Paul is saying that's what life without the Spirit is like. It's not just the law. For Paul, the law right now is functioning as a kind of metaphor for life without the Spirit. The world treats you that way. You don't need the power of the Holy Spirit to tell you where to go and how to get there because the world already has a plan for your life. And I will just say, some of us in this room, I don't need to be a prophet to know that there are some of you here who have been allowing your faith, or really probably more true, your vision of life, to function as a kind of babysitter for you. Oh, you graduated college? That's great. Now you're going to go here, and okay, now I see you've gone here, and now it's time to go here, and now I see you're earning this much. Okay, so next you're here, and that's just what we do. Why? I don't know. Did you choose that? Did the Holy... I don't And I'm not saying all those things are bad. Here's what I am saying. That is not the Holy Spirit. And you can live that life without Him. And Paul is saying, you are Christians. You are the people for whom Christ died and was raised again so that you could live your life as free people, not as children under a babysitter. When God brought Israel out of the Exodus. And the presence of God came to make himself known among his people. Do you remember his form? What form did he take? Cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In order to lead Israel out of slavery, into their inheritance. This is a foretaste of the Holy Spirit, who he would be. Jesus said, the one who leads and guides you into truth. That same pillar of fire, At Exodus, that led Israel is that same spirit. He led them out of slavery. And he took them where? Into the wilderness and then to the sea, straight into the middle of it, up to a mountain, and then into a land crawling with giants. Babysitters don't take you into the sea, but the Spirit of God might. Babysitters will not lead you into a land crawling with giants, but the Holy Spirit will. Why? Because God's heart is set on redemption. He's on a rescue mission. You don't need a babysitter. You need an adventure guide. Amen. That's who we have. And I don't say it to be cheesy. I know, y'all. I got two kids, a job, bills. I know. I wake up every day just like you do, put my pants on and think, just got to make it through. I know. But then every now and then I will sit with Jesus and I will remember I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Mine eyes have seen the glory, Dr. King said. And once you've seen it and tasted it, there is no amount of babysitting that can make you forget it. It's home for us, it's your home. You have received the Holy Spirit. Why would you go backwards? Let's go home. And sometimes we just need a minute at camp to have somebody put the grapes in front of you, you know? Can you believe that that's why you're here? Not because that's my heart for you, it's because it's Jesus' heart for you. He doesn't condemn you because you feel bored in your life, He's just sad. And he wants more for you. If you feel afraid and you're tempted to control, you want to revert into huddles of people just like you, he gets it. And he's not even mad at you. Paul's mad. Paul's mad. He's not even mad. He just wants something better for us. He loves you, he knows. The other day, last weekend, I wasn't here because I went away for a a couple of days and um, on the way home stopped at a roadside antique store, which is what I do when I go to keep crazy, I guess, you know. But I'm on vacation, it's antiquing for me. And stopped at this antique store and I walk in and there's this piece of art that I just, you know, you've been in them. This is like Nowhere, Tennessee. And there's this drawing, an etching, um, sitting there. And I pick it up, drawn to it immediately. I was like, this looks like me. It's for me. It was speaking to me, as they say. And it was a drawing of Yosemite Valley. And in the bottom, the corner, in words you could barely make out, it says, an invitation to adventure. And I thought, God? It was just the most, it's like that's it. That's what I believe has been put in front of our church, y'all. I believe it with my whole heart. We have an invitation from the Holy Spirit to adventure with Him. And where He wants to take us is not easy, but it is so good. Where he wants to take you, you have an invitation to adventure. Do I know what that looks like for Trinity? I don't. I just know the grapes are good. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like for you. I just know the grapes are good. You have before you an invitation to adventure, a life with Jesus, and it is the only way to live, Paul says. It's good news. If you will live into it, if you will follow him, He has seas he wants to split. He has giants he wants to take down. He has walls he wants to tear down. That's just who he is. And if you will do it, if you'll follow him, it will sound like, look like, feel like good news to everybody around you. That's the gospel. And it's yours already as a gift. And if you don't believe it, don't leave here today not believing it. Ask the Holy Spirit to come, to recruit you, to go on mission. It's really good what he's doing out there, and we get to do it together. If you're here and you need the Spirit for whatever it is that's coming to mind right now that you cannot do on your own because the giants are too big or the fear is too real, whatever it is, we're going to do communion like we always do. We're going to receive little bits of bread and wine that are not magic. They're a reminder. And then we're going to pray. And there will be people here, just normal people, who can pray for you. But those normal people, just like those little bits of bread and wine, have been blessed by the Holy Spirit to hear from God, to pray for you. So if you need to hear from the Lord and receive His Spirit, then do it. And if you'd rather do it on your own, not coming here, that's okay too. Just don't leave here without having acknowledged that he brought you here. He's with you and for you. Amen. Let's stand together if we can.